All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send out emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 491 points, or 1.4%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 110 points, or 2.5%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 441 points, or 3.2%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 5.1%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 17.6%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 34.1%. Thank you, Jeff. I, you know, I want to start throwing in a new statistic, is that is the equally weighted S&P 500. Now, this, of course, statistic is through Thursday, since we're recording this after the bell on Friday, but the equally weighted S&P 500 that averages out and, again, makes everyone a level playing field so that Magnificent 7 can't over-skew the performance of the S&P 500, equally weighted S&P 500 up 7.24%. Now, I wish they did an equally weighted NASDAQ because I think if we just looked at the equally weighted NASDAQ, I think the performance would be about a third of what it is today. Yep. I did, I did hear jo- – I can't remember. Who's, what's Josh's last name that we hear, see on CNBC? Brown. Josh That's Brown. Right. Josh Brown. He had a really great statistic. He, had, he said on – I think it was on Wednesday, and I'm sure it still is true today. I think the last time that the – uh, market cap weighted S&P 500 was this far ahead of the equally weighted S&P 500. You'd have to go back to the end of the dot-com era. I think he said it was 1998 that hmm. the out, that there was this much outperformance. I, I, I know it was in the 1990s. I think it was the latter stages of the dot-com era, which which doesn't surprise me. Uh, because there was, you know, tech, tech stocks were certainly at that moment in 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 history in the markets were going like gangbusters. Anything I mean, ninety nine, dot- yeah, ninety nine was ripped your face off. It's crazy. You know, <laughs> anything that had dot com on the end of it was was dot going to the moon. Meteoric, right? absolutely. Right. 
I'm having, but I'm having PTSD, so don't bring that up. This century, with probably the mass, the vast majority of of folks being in charge of managing money, have never experienced uh, this this difference between the equally weighted and the market cap weighted uh, index. They just they've never and and so since Kyle's been here, since you know, since Joe's been with us, I don't. I, I have vague recollections of the late 20th century. Um, I guess it's my age. Uh, but I mean, for most people, this is a, this is a, a to, to not overuse a word, unprecedented times when it comes to this, this performance differential. Uh, and it, I, I don't see, there doesn't seem to be at this point, whether we're topping out, because I know there's some stocks. I, I, I remember seeing NVIDIA on Friday was down. I think, I'm not sure that NVIDIA, since its earnings announcement, has gotten back to where it was prior to its earnings annou- announcement. I know that's one, just one of the magnificent seven, but I'd see, I'd see, I did see Apple pushing 190 again. But I think Apple at one time had got over $200 a share here this quarter. Um, so the, the, the craziness of the of of stock picking this year. You know, if your if your portfolio did not contain at least half of those stocks, you're probably suffering pretty badly against the against the indexes this year. Well, like I said, if you're equally weighted, you're seven percent versus the S and P. S and P up seventeen point six without dividends. Dividends, you're over eighteen percent spread. It's pretty yeah, significant. I mean, that's well, huge. That's huge. But, but, you know, Jeff to, Jeff, to your point, though, about, you know, if you don't have these stocks in your portfolio, and we just put out a – we're getting ready to put out a new blog post on our website at davidsoncap.com that all of our listeners can go read about the importance of active management. Because when I just look at our 40 individual stock portfolio that we, you know, typically run it as an equally weighted portfolio, just looking at the individual stocks through Thursday – we're up north of 24%, which, of course, is outperforming the S&P 500, and we only own four of those seven. So there are other stocks there are. in the different indexes that are doing extremely well, but this is where the discipline, the proprietary uh, process that we utilize at stock selecting to where you can still build an equally weighted 40, 50 stock portfolio that can outperform the S&P 500, and it doesn't have to be overweighted in these magnificent seven stocks because we only own four of the seven, and we have, you know, we, we have uh, 36 other stocks in the portfolio. Yeah, well, Joe. Well, I did a little bit of research and to, to back Kyle up on that. Did a little research on mid-cap stocks, okay, for the week. I, I, looking at mid-cap funds, mid-cap growth funds. I think we have eight or nine mid-cap stocks in those 40, and they're up over the average uh, stocks up over 29% for the year. Now, that doesn't mean we bought them all at the beginning of the year. I mean, if you'd own those stocks equally weighted, all right, through yesterday, they'd have been up 29%. So your point about stock picking, and you look at the the mid-cap index, or you look at, say, VO, which is Vanguard's mid-cap, uh, index uh, fund, it's up about 8.6% for the year. So stock picking and active management makes a huge difference. Um, but it's not all just the Magnificent Seven like you're talking about, Kyle. You need to do your research, and there's some good companies out there that you can make some money on. So, well, and, and, and again, that comes down to experience, being in the trenches, have a proprietary process that's been proven over many, many decades as far as you know, stock picking is concerned. 
and that's what having active management is all about. And this is the reason why our newest blog post that is yet to be posted, which, again, all of our listeners can go read at DavidsonCap.com once it is posted, of why active management is so critical. But unfortunately, in this day and age, in the legacy distribution that surrounds our firm at Davidson Capital Management, it's all this passive strategy. And if you have this passive strategy, and let's say you're equally weighted to the S&P 500, you're up 7.24%, and you're 100% weighted in stocks, which we do not recommend by any way, shape, or form, you have to have a balanced portfolio. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise, guys, will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, spent the first segment again talking about the importance of active asset management. Now, for longtime listeners of the MoneyWise program that know us, have known our firm, have listened to the show that we've been doing for, you know, the last 18 years, understand that we're very old school. You know, we are old school stock and bond pickers, active managers, fully in the portfolio, making decisions when decisions need to be made based on real-time market conditions and using our 70-plus years of combined asset management experience to be making those decisions. And so, again, talking about a blog post that's going to be posted on our website in the next week or two, about the importance of active management. And I know we have spent a lot of time on the MoneyWise program over the last 18 years talking about the legacy distribution system. You know, every name brand, name brand brokerage firm you could think of across the country and how over the last, I'd say, what, 10, 15 years, they've been really shifting to this more passive strategy where it's shotgun blast, a bunch of different exchange-traded funds or mutual funds, into a portfolio having two or three large-cap growth funds, two or three large-cap value funds, just shotgun blasting these different funds in a portfolio. So you as the client or as the investor, you might have 20, 25, 30 different mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, or combination of the two in your portfolio, and you run into this situation of what's called over-diversification, where you might have participation in NVIDIA, but it might actually only be about a quarter of a percent of your entire assets because how overly diversified the portfolio is. And so the way that you find this out, and as we always offer to any listener of the Money Wise program, is a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys to where we have access to systems and programs that regular you know, regular investors on the street don't have access to because you're not paying the, the monthly fees to be able to have access to them to where we can actually give you that second opinion from actual portfolio managers that don't ship out the asset management decisions, but actually make them in-house. Jeff, it looks like you're thinking. Well, Deep I wanted, thought. To, expand, Deep, yeah. I wanted <laughs> to expand on the uh, shotgun approach because I had an, an example, another example this week of a situation where – 
a particular uh, a particular prospective client came came to me and was very concerned about the way this portfolio was being managed and this this as the prospective client told me the story well I knew right off the bat based on the organization that the prospective client was working with currently I knew that this organization didn't manage money so as soon as I you know, obtained all the documentation, one of the things that was shared with me that was that's not normally shared is the original account application, which indicated the uh, investment parameters, if you will, of this particular uh, allocation part. strategy. Yeah, an allocation strategy, and they called on you know, the account application uh, the investment objective. So the investment objective for this this particular prospective client on this application that they filled out from this other organization was a moderate growth and in income objective, which is which was reasonable given the story, the the background, the the goals that the prospective client gave me. This this prospective client was over the age of sixty. They'd like to have some, be able to make some withdrawals from the portfolio to support their their living needs. Um, and so a moderate growth and in income portfolio based on what they filled out on this account application was seen perfectly uh, reasonable. Now the problem was is once you once I looked at the assets that were owned in the portfolio, the asset allocation, was completely counter to the stated investment objective. Now, in the case of this prospective client, and I don't know if this is if this is just an oversight or laziness or whatever it is on the part lack of, of management this, on the on the part of this organization, but this this prospective client had. Ninety-five percent of their assets invested in stock. I got a question. Did you look at the statement in the past year? Did they have like forty or fifty percent of bond funds coming out or cash? I mean, that's the only way I can rationalize that higher percentage of stocks in a moderate growth and in income portfolio. Well, I based mean, on the <laughs> based on the story that I received from the prospective client, it appeared that this asset allocation had been in place for quite some time. Mm. Um, That's what I'm getting at. All and right. so, you know, once I ran it through the analysis tools and determined the overall asset allocation, how in the world do you get do you get a moderate growth and in income investment objective from a 95 percent in uh, portfolio invest 95 percent in stocks? The answer is you can't. It's it, that is that is the quintessential definition of an aggressive growth investment objective not a moderate growth call that pedal to the metal i mean that 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 would be an asset allocation appropriate for someone probably under the age of 30 not for someone at the at the age of 60 plus now there are caveats and there are there are uh, exceptions such as does this prospective client maybe hold other assets away from this particular broker that, uh, say, cash assets, bond assets, so maybe they had bonds and cash at one place 
and stocks at another. Well, that is not the case in this case. So clearly the asset allocation does not jive with the investment objective that's stated on the account application. Further analysis showed that unlike the description that Kyle just gave, where we seem to see these shotgun approaches where they'll have dozens of mutual funds and or exchange-traded funds in one portfolio, and they're from all these different fund families typically, this particular situation, all the mutual funds were from one mutual fund family only that charges some of the highest upfront sales charges. But the kicker here is the is the 12B1 fees. Now, I know I might be getting a little bit in the weeds for our listeners, and 12B1 refers to, us, I think, a specific uh, rule, either in SEC code or NASD code. But it's basically a fee that's part of the overall management fee for the mutual fund, meaning the owner of the mutual fund is paying this, the account holder, and that fee goes to the broker basically to reimburse them for their quote-unquote marketing expenses. It's just a profit center, ladies and gentlemen. And every one of these mutual funds that was owned in this prospective client's portfolio was paying a quarter of a percent per year to the broker and just fluff fees to do nothing. Because there is no active management occurring here. Because if there was active management occurring and there was someone paying attention, how would they put an individual over the age of 60 with no other outside investments in an asset allocation of 95% stocks? It makes it makes no sense. I mean, this is this is a, a particularly egregious example of they're just not paying attention. Yes, Kyle. Well, I was going to say it creates this false sense of security for the prospective client when they say, "Oh, well, I'm in a moderate growth and in income portfolio." Maybe not digging any deeper, just saying, "Yeah, it seems like well, that trusting. sounds like the appropriate objective." Exactly, they're, they're trusting. They're trusting. They're trusting but they're not, that but they're not yeah. digging deeper. What we've all, what I've always preached on this program since 2005, you always have to dig deeper. Don't take things for face value. This is why the portfolio reviews and analysis we offer are so incredibly critical. The key is trust and verify. Trust, trust and verify. verify. Yeah, trust, trust but verify. verify. Yeah, I want to point out, too, that when Kyle and I back in the day at a certain other mutual fund company in – Pertaining to the, the mutual fund companies Jeff's talking about, we used to do the software it was called you know overlap. And if you look at this particular mutual fund company and you have three or four mutual funds, you think you have diversification, but once you run an overlap analysis or what we call now a stock correlation analysis, you own a lot of the same stuff. So even though you think you're diversified, not only are you you know you're you're in, you're really not. So that's why you have to actually do a portfolio review to know what you own and see what your overlap.
or what you're overweight if you're overweight in in, in individual particular stocks. So and and, and, and I want to and I want to continue on that point when we come back from the commercial break about overlap and what that actually means, particularly when you might find your portfolio invested in one specific or maybe two specific mutual fund families, why this overlap and understanding it is so critical. So I want to pick that up on the other side of this break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you, Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, we're kind of continuing a conversation that we started in the first segment of the show about why active asset management is so incredibly critical and how, you know, majority of the industry, the legacy distribution system, as we call them, any name brand brokerage firm that you can think of uh, that runs commercials, sponsors this, sponsors that, you know, ads all over the place, how they have really moved you know, and they've been, and I mean, they haven't just recently made this move. They've been like this for many, many years of taking this passive strategy. And so, Jeff, you were telling a story about a prospective client whose portfolio you were reviewing that came from a brokerage organization. And when you did the review that you found that there was only one individual mutual fund family representing every investment option in this portfolio. And before we went to the bottom of the hour break, Joe brought up something that I, that I haven't used the term overlap in quite some time, but, you know, when he and I used to be at Alliance Capital Management, now Alliance Bernstein, that's something that we always took a look at. And so the problem with overlap or when you work with one particular mutual fund family, a lot of the same stock ideas are shared by all the portfolio managers of all these different asset classes. So even some of the small cap managers are using some of the large cap picks and what have you. And so you run into this situation where you think you're diversified, but you're not. And this is the other reason why it's a wise idea to diversify between a multitude of different firms to also get different ideas. But, Jeff, I know you wanted to expand on this a little bit further. Well, not necessarily firms, but different fund families. Families, yes. Portfolio. Yes, different um, fund families. But but you also, not only different fund families, if you're going to use mutual funds, but you also have to understand and be sure that the mutual funds themselves are also in different asset classes. Or in, you know, they're, they're not, you don't have five large cap stock mutual funds or a mix of mutual funds and ETFs because you're going to run into the same problem. And we've, we've talked about this before, this illusion of, diversification. But when you really get under the hood, you find out, well, wait a second, I'm not really diversified, am I? Because you wouldn't put five quarterbacks on the field at the same time, right? You'd put your best quarterback on the field. So why put five large cap stock 
mutual funds or a mix of three large cap mutual funds and two large cap ETFs on the field at the same time? Why would you do that? Well, it's marketing for one thing for the for the uh, legacy distribution system type organizations. It gives you, again, that illusion and comfort of diversification. But without you really digging in, you're not going to know if you're truly diversified. So like this particular situation where they have all these mutual funds with the same fund family, the analysis tools go so it looks at the holdings. And I probably wouldn't surprise you that four to four to six mutual funds would own the same the same stock in every one of those mutual funds or multiple stocks in those same mutual funds. And next thing you know, you've got a portfolio where you're over allocated to one particular stock. Now, in this situation, what stock do you think is the biggest share of this? 95% invested in the stock's portfolio. What do you think the number one stock is? It's either like Apple or Microsoft. Microsoft. Apple or Microsoft. Kyle, you just want to pick one. You got to pick one. All right. Apple. It's got to be Apple. And, Joe, what's your pick? It's going to be the same as Kyle's, Apple. No. Okay. It's it's actually Microsoft. Oh. Okay. Yeah, Almost 5% of this portfolio is in Microsoft. Now, this year, it's pretty good. Right? This what year, what, about, what seven, about last baby. year? What about last year? <laughs> ugly. Ugly. Pretty ugly. Stock number two, Broadcom. Stock number three, Meta, a.k.a. Facebook. Stock number four, Amazon. Stock number five, United Healthcare. And that's just five. I've given you five stocks. Every, every one of those five stocks is owned in more than half of the funds that are in this particular portfolio. Yeah. Now, I could go on. There's actually this analysis tool gives me the top 50. But you can go page after page after page, and you'll see the same stock owned in multiple different mutual funds. So you, are you really getting into diversification? The other thing that was also interesting about this portfolio is there was no rhyme or reason to how the assets were distributed among the mutual funds. They weren't evenly distributed. They were very much overweighted, and it just so happens that they were overweighted in one particular fund. Almost 50% of the assets were in one mutual fund, and unfortunately for this prospective client, this one mutual fund happens to be one of the poorest performers out of the group and was down almost 31% last year. Now, it's had a, it's had a good year this year. But you got to ask yourself, all right, so I got a portfolio of eight, ten mutual funds, and I put half the money into one? Is that diversified? Question mark? And I'm all in the same fund family, and they all seem to be sharing the same stock ideas. Am I actually diversified? Question mark? And what am I paying for all this? And I'm paying almost two-thirds of a percent for for the management, for the for the every one of these mutual funds to make the decisions on which securities to own. There is no one managing the asset allocation decision-making process. There's no one deciding where we're going to be in stocks or where we're going to be in bonds, what we're going to have in cash. It's just set it and forget it. Hold on just a second. But the thing that really gets me is that out of that, 
almost two-thirds of a percent. It's like 0.67% in overall management fees and expenses is the expenses part. And that's getting me back to those 12B1 fees, those fees that are paid directly to the brokerage house, which are basically just a profit center. 25 basis points, 0.25%, or more than one-third of the overall expense ratio that, that, that the prospective client is paying for this portfolio is going back to the brokerage house as just a profit center. Because they're not doing anything. Because they're clearly not setting up the portfolio with the proper asset allocation. If I tell them, hey, I want moderate growth in income, that's my investment objective. And then they put me 95% invested in stocks? What is that? No one's no one's minding the store. And we have, we're just going to throw it all into one fund family. There's no... There's no evidence. There's no. Uh, uh, there's no work being done to try to find, as Kyle would say, best of breed. Because I can guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, that every one of those mutual funds in this prospective client's portfolio is not. I repeat, is not the best mutual fund choice in whatever industry group, whatever asset class that these mutual funds are invested in. There are better ones out there. But the reason that the broker does this is dollars and cents, ladies and gentlemen, because this particular mutual fund family pays some of the highest commissions on Wall Street for loaded mutual funds and has the 25 basis point, one quarter of 1% kicker junk fee that comes back to the broker every quarter profit center. Yes, guys. Well, I wanted to point something out. You said how this 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 account is categorized as a moderate growth in income, right? Fifty percent of the portfolio is in one fund, and we all here know which one it is. And you think that one fund is categorized as a growth in income fund? If you nope. Morningstar categorized <laughs> as a growth. Large it's cap growth, baby. Yeah, this, this it's is categorized as a growth. Asset gathering versus asset management and there's a big difference uh, you got a huge difference. advisor ask him are you an asset gatherer are you an asset manager if you're well, an asset what, manager show me how please well it's, what am it's I just like it's just last year you know meeting with a prospective client and the very first question he asked me and i told him this is by far the best question all my years of doing this i've ever received right from the get he said do you actively manage the assets in-house yourself and I said, sir, that is the best question I have ever gotten. And I said, we absolutely do. You're looking at one of the decision makers, and there's two more. One of them is in my office. The other one's in our Corpus Christi office. So the answer is yes. All the decisions are made in-house. We make those decisions. And also, we have moved away from no-load mutual funds, which eliminate those 12B1 fees and typically carry lower internal expenses in the no-load mutual fund arena because of the lack of the 12B1 fees. But we have, as as the 34 years have gone by at Davidson Capital Management, we have migrated away from mutual funds at this point in time totally and using exchange-traded funds, not only because they're less expensive from an internal fee structure standpoint, but they also are more tax-efficient 
than that of actively managed mutual funds. And then, of course, we at Davidson Capital Management actively manage the mix within the asset allocation in real market time and real market conditions. And we're searching for the best to breed for the asset classes we want represented in our client portfolios. Well, with that, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, I think we did this show a little bit different this week because we started with investor education for the first three segments, and now we're going to turn our attention to the market this past week. And I think the reason why we saved it for the last segment is that this is the week before you get to Labor Day weekend. So there's a lot of limited staffs. There's extremely low volume, which we saw all throughout the week with the exception of Thursday. And so, you know, yes, we had some statistics that I wanted to go, that we wanted to go into uh, because we did have some inflation data that came out this past week on the PCE or, yes, Jeff. Well, let's start with, let's do them in order. So the first you want to do one, employment first? Well, no, GDP is first. Oh, GDP, okay. So the GDP, this was on Wednesday. This was the second rating of second quarter gross domestic product, and they actually lowered the estimate down to 2.1 from a previously reported 2.4. Still, still not negative. So we cannot say that we're in a recession based on this data for the second reading of second quarter. Pending home sales was also on Wednesday, and it was up nine-tenths of a percent. Um, I think you were you were alluding to uh, with the PCE number on uh, personal consumption per- expenditures, per- which back in the third. day was the standard data point that the Federal Reserve used in making interest rate decisions, but it's kind of moved a little bit more to the CPI or Consumer Price Index. Well, I think the Consumer Price Index gets more attention from the media. It's more, we'll call it, quote-unquote, the mainstream uh, reporting when it comes to how we're doing on inflation. It's the CPI number is the big focus. The PCE number is, as you said, more the, the number that maybe the Fed uh, focuses on, and it showed that it rose two-tenths of a percent in July, which was the same pace as the month of June. Uh, when you The so-called core prices, which exclude volatile food and energy categories, rose at the same rate. Now, economists said they see core inflation as, better, as a better predictor of future inflation than overall inflation. And the inflation ran at a 2.1% annualized rate over the three months through July, which is close to the Fed's 2% target. So does three months – is three months a trend? Is, well, is, I mean, it, it, it jumped a tenth of a percent. 
I mean, it would core PCE. I mean, PCE was up a tenth at four two four. The previous month was four one. So right, but if you just come out, up a tenth of a percent. The, if you take out the volatile stuff, yeah, it's, you know, it's close to the Fed's target. Now, the 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 thinking was there was a higher probability before this number came out. The statistic came out on Thursday that there might be a rate increase in the third week of September. Now, after this number came out, all I was hearing on Friday is based on this and the unemployment number, which we're getting to, that the probabilities now are much less that there's going to be a rate increase in September and that the Fed's going to skip it and say, well, we just let's get some more data. We like what we're seeing. We're not ready to declare victory. We're making but progress. We're going to skip it and kick the can down the road. And so what does that give us? It gives us a nice day on Friday because, you know, August was a negative month. We didn't really talk about the stats for performance in August. All the, all the indices were negative, Dow, S&P, and the NASDAQ. But we start off with a nice beginning to uh, – to September. to September, except for the Nasdaq, and the Nasdaq I think was down just a was I think the Nasdaq was down just a little bit on Friday, but yeah, it wasn't much. It was it was basically flat. But there was a lot there of there go. was some money. Interestingly enough, there there seemed to be quite a bit of money going in to the you know the small cap side because the Russell I think was up a percent on Friday, which was Over far percent, more yeah. far more than the S and P was. So it definitely looked like some assets were flowing that way, which uh, we've got. You know some participation in that in that part of the of the market, and had a nice day in our portfolios and uh, the mid cap space also. So we're yeah. starting, you know, this on Friday. We saw some other asset classes getting some buying that we haven't seen in quite a long period of time. And so, and typically, when you have a falling interest rate environment, that's when your value stocks, particularly the dividend payers, start to do better. Because if interest rates are going to be coming down, it makes their dividend income look that much more attractive as interest rates come down. So if the Fed looks like they're not going to be raising rates in September, kick the can down the road. And if the statistics continue to follow this path lower, then that might finally signal that the Fed is done. But the Fed is going to continue to talk tough. They're going to continue to talk tough, and it's all going to be data dependent. So I'm not going to call that on this show that they're done because they're – we have a ways to go before so you're saying that we're determination not because the Fed is not done yet. Possibly <laughs> not done. I mean, they, they might Maybe. most likely they're not going to be raising in September. And I know with a couple minutes before we get to the top of our break, we want to hit the employment numbers, which came out on Friday, and I'll, I'll hit those. So for the month of August, there was 187,000 jobs that were created. And that was right in line with expectations. But the unemployment rate jumped to 3.8%. And the U6, which I follow, which I truly consider the full unemployment number, increased to 7.1%. But something else that was interesting is July's employment numbers were revised lower, 30,000 jobs to 157,000. And June's was revised down 80,000 jobs to 105,000. So we're looking at a three-month average job growth per month of 150,000 jobs. So when you see the unemployment rate going up, you see the U6 going up, you see jobs being revised lower, 
along with the PCE moving in the right direction. I think this definitely gives cover for the Fed to skip an interest rate increase on their September 19th meeting, but that doesn't mean if the data changes and things reverse and start going back higher from an inflation or job standpoint, that they stand ready to increase interest rates once again later on into the fourth quarter. So, so we, it's we all going to be data dependent. We get CPI like a week before the Fed meeting. Correct. So Yeah, so that's going to be a big one, CPI and PPI, producer price index. But the producer price index has definitely been moving in well within their range from a producer price index standpoint. So stay tuned because it's all going to be data dependent. <laughs> well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. Before we before we take the break, I want to the top of the news. I want to wish everybody a happy and safe Labor Day weekend. Enjoy yourself. Uh, we're going to take the break, go into the news. But when we come back from the top of the hour, we're going to dive into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continue with more investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You money wise guys, we'll be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070. Or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at DavidsonCap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as as we like to utilize every second hour of the Money Wise program going into investor education, and any longtime listeners of the program know that we definitely love our top ten lists. Uh, I guess it's a little bit of an ode to uh, to David Letterman. Uh, but we have a top ten list for this afternoon's show called the Ten Myths of Retirement Planning. And so we'll dive right in with myth number one. And that first myth is you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. Now, this I would say the financial entertainment press, the legacy distribution system for Years and years and years, as long as I've been in the business, which you know for me is coming up on 16 years I've been doing this, they have the kind of industry standard that you only need 70 to 80% of what you're currently earning while you're working in retirement to maintain your lifestyle once you are in retirement. And, you know, very honestly, what I try to educate prospective clients uh, that come in here to Davidson Capital Management is that 
we don't abide by that 70 to 80 percent of your current income in retirement to maintain your lifestyle. In fact, most instances, I say you need 95 to 100 percent of what you're currently earning now. You need to be able to withdraw that same amount of money in retirement from your nest egg in order to maintain your lifestyle because the one, I think, variable that the legacy distribution system doesn't uh, – calculate doesn't uh, put into their calculation or account for is the fact that what's the one thing that you have a heck of a lot more of in retirement than you do during your working years leisure time that's right you have a lot more leisure time so you have more time to travel if you're into hunting fishing golfing those are not cheap hobbies by any stretch of the imagination or now you're getting into new hobbies that take more time and more money and so you know that myth that you don't need as much money in retirement as you do right now Again, I think it's a complete myth and it's complete bogus. Do you want to add something, Jeff? Well, go ahead, Dan. Well, I was going to say also medical expenses. That's the one thing that uh, that's really the X factor, the unknown factor as you get older because that's, that's true. definitely going up. Well, that's true. We don't know the, the inflationary costs of medical care. Obviously, as you get older, you need more and more attention from healthcare professionals. Uh, but I think something else, Dad, that, that's a big unknown that's out there, and I think um, I, I'm not even going out of limb on saying this, but with, with the deficits that we currently face and the national debt, I mean, to say that taxes are going to be going down in the future, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I, and so I think retirees or folks that are working towards retirement and building their nest egg, that's something that they need to keep, keep in the back of their mind is, you know, they shouldn't anticipate, oh, well, I'm going to only have a 10 or 12% effective tax rate in retirement because nobody knows what their tax rate is going to be. And, again, we're assuming that taxes will be going up as far as the eye can see because of the deficits, because of the national debt that we have. I think – Maybe turning this myth around and turning it into a question is something that we at Davidson Capital Management do time and again when we're meeting with prospective clients. And they ask this question, well, what do you think the portfolio can produce in income in retirement? They may, maybe, the, the, maybe you don't know exactly what you think you will need, but maybe if you had an estimate of what, the, what your portfolio might produce if you were to retire right now or if you were to retire, say, 10 years from now at a certain rate of return based on the portfolio nest egg that you have right now and then apply our maximum withdrawal rate here that we have at our firm of 7% a year and say, do you think this number will be enough money for you to retire on uh, when you reach retirement years? Let's say that the, the that they bring a portfolio of a certain size and we and we estimate that it'll grow at seven to eight percent a year for another ten years. And the number we start off with is a million dollars. We'll just round it off. Well, at our maximum rate of withdrawal, that's seventy thousand dollars a year, seven percent of a million dollars. So, is is seventy thousand? Do you think seventy thousand dollars a year, based on a one million dollar portfolio, will be enough to keep your lifestyle where it is right now? If we find that there's that the the client is spending a hundred and forty thousand dollars a year on their lifestyle, then seventy thousand dollars in retirement. We're not even taking into account any Social Security, of course. 
might not be enough to support their current lifestyle. So now we now we got to now we got to look at okay, are we going to start saving more now to increase that nest egg size so that we can get a little closer to uh, to that target uh, income, or do we need to think about uh, lowering living lo- expenses, lowering, lowering lowering liver expenses, lowering expectations uh, for income in retirement? All three. Well, I, Maybe I, think, all three. I, I think one thing that a lot of retirees can get or pre-retirees can get in trouble is they go in with expectations that, well, my portfolio needs to be designed to where I'm, I'm outperforming the S&P 500 each and every year. And if you're creating a financial plan that takes that scenario in, 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 into effect, that is extremely, extremely dangerous. And by saying that, I need to have my portfolio outperforming the S&P each and every year. It's unrealistic. It's very unrealistic. And the one, one of the big problems that pre-retirees have going into maybe a professional asset manager relationship is they have unrealistic expectations. And what they need to do is they need to establish a goal, a plan. You know, my goal for this money is to grow 8% per year. Like you said, Jeff, let's sit down and work out a plan. And what are your goals? And say, okay, if you only need to earn 7 maybe 8% annualized, over, you know, after all fees and expenses for a lengthy period of time, let's say the next 10 or 15 years to have a comfortable retirement, then that's really what you should focus on and how you should position your portfolio and allocate it. But if you're the type of investor that's like, i got to beat the S&P each and every year, you're setting yourself up for disappointment and failure because it is next to impossible to do. Well, when we come back from the break, I want to take a different approach. That's that's one type of client that we see uh, here at Davidson Capital, but there's also another type I want to talk about when we come back. Okay, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send our emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're focusing on the second hour of this weekend's program, the 10 myths of retirement planning. We are actually still working on myth number one, uh, that myth again. Uh, you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. And so we were talking before we went to break about setting goals, and having appropriate goals in place and appropriate expectations in place with your nest egg as you're going into retirement. And, Jeff, I know you wanted to add a little bit to that. Well, that is that is one. We see this that this type of scenario with some prospective clients that are looking for maximum performance. They're, they're, they're very much focused on performance, and we understand that. But I think... Another type of client that we that we're seeing, and maybe this is an offshoot of of the, of the new target date funds that have been out here for about the last ten years, and that's this assumption that as I get closer and closer to retirement, I need to have more and more of my money in in bond investments and in, in fixed income investments, and less and less in stock because I need to be taking less risk. And so, by having more money in fixed income, well, that would be traditionally saying, well, I'm taking less risk. Well. That's all fine and good 
in a normal interest rate environment. And I use that in quotations. As, but this is not a normal interest Definitely rate Definitely not normal. And we have not had a normal interest rate environment for a very long time. And it appears that we may not have a normal interest rate environment for a number of years into the future. So <clears throat> having a asset allocation strategy that as I'm approaching retirement, I need to have less than what we would recommend an, uh, an allocation in stocks in the current rate environment and more of an allocation to bonds, but yet still have a uh, expected rate of return of 8% is not realistic. Mm-hmm. Is not realistic at all. And so m- maybe the two tie together is about having realistic expectations and understanding that in order to deliver those expectations, you have to have a certain ratio of stocks to bonds based on the existing current interest rate environment. Yes, Doug? Well, just say we were looking at a traditional balanced account, which in the old days would be 60% stock, 40% bond. Well, if you're at a 10% return in stocks, that means you're going to get 6% from your stocks out of the portfolio. The problem is the 40% that would be sitting in bonds with a 10-year bond, you know, slightly, you know, less than three, you're you're not getting up to the 7%, which we have seen is a safe withdrawal rate going back our 25 years. But And it's because of the bond component. The bond component right now is changing the math on what people need for retirement. But I don't think the retirees are picking up on that fact, Dad. I, I don't think they are. And when you're talking about target date funds, putting more money into bonds as people approach retirement, what is the most dangerous asset class out there right now? It is bonds. Fixed income. Because we don't know very how few the people Fed, say Very, very few people would say that. No, I, Nobody would say that. I don't think other than people that run bonds like us. We either know, than us. Either we, than us. We know, we know that it's dangerous. You get the Bill Grosses of the world that come out and say it's a new normal. They don't want to come out and say it's a new bubble. They don't want to say the bubble word Contacted with bonds. So are we moving on to myth number two? Myth number two. Myth number two, my retirement years won't last that long. The fact is today's today individuals in their 50s and 60s, of course, are generally healthier than previous generations. So if you're 65 years old right now, your life expectancy is approximately 21 years. And... With a life expectancy of 21 years means that you have a 50% chance of dying by year 21 and a 50% chance of living longer. So if you're 65 right now, you have a 50-50 chance of, of living past 86 years old. And so that, again, goes along with creating that plan and having your goals and realizing, is my nest egg sufficient enough to sustain me till I'm 86 or till I'm 95, and if you and have, nobody knows, and if you have a seven percent rate of withdrawal in your portfolio, and you've got a hundred percent fixed income earning you two percent, you're not going to get there. It's not. It may not last 21 years. You know, as I always, as I say to prospective clients, if we all knew when the last day on this earth would be for each one of us, man, retirement planning would be so much easier. But unfortunately, and I guess fortunately, we don't know when that day is going to be. No, myth number three, you can afford to start planning for your retirement a few years before your retirement date. 
In fact, it is never too soon to begin planning for retirement. Time is one of the most powerful tools in the accumulation of wealth. The sooner you start to accumulate assets and plan for your retirement years, the better, the less you will need to set aside each year in order to achieve the same objective. Now, I've talked about this over and over and over again for a number of years using the example of someone that was just fresh out of college, that just graduated, just got their diploma, and they get their first job. And if they had a, if they, this 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 one million dollar goal to have in your in your retirement years, you start off your retirement with a one one million dollar nest egg. If you started saving when you were twenty one, twenty two years old, and you save for forty years to get to sixty two, the you would have to save what amounts to about a, skipping lunch every day. Brown bagging out. it. Brown. By brown bagging it going to work. About about $8 a day. It's like $250 a month. If you save that amount of money at 22 years old and you never change it, you would, accum- and, and you would accumulate about a million dollars at an 8% compounded rate of return. You know what our listeners can do? They can just go into Google and Google the term time value of money and read the explanation. I mean, it's very, very simple. And, and again, if you're someone who's in their 40s, maybe in their early 50s, and you haven't started saving for retirement, I mean, this is when you need to buckle down and start putting the pedal to the metal uh, to, to try to save as much as possible. It's never too late. As we've always said on the radio show, pay yourself first. But this myth number three rolls right into myth number four for those individuals that have failed to plan for their retirement, and that myth number four is that Social Security will provide enough income for my retirement years. Bottom line, Social Security accounts for approximately 38% of the average retiree of the average retiree's income. So, uh, you know, you're you're talking, you know, 62% that still needs to be made up. And 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 again, to be very blunt. If you're relying on the federal government to take care of you in retirement, again, you are setting yourself up for failure. We all know the Social Security system is broken. It needs a substantial overhaul. Um, The fact that Social Security benefits with cost of living adjustments, or COLA for short, have become smaller and smaller and smaller over the years. if you're one of those individuals that's just relying on Social Security to take care of you, again, you're planning for failure in your retirement years and possibly working to the day that you die. You have to start planning and you have to start putting away. You know, if you follow myth number three, then you're going to wind up falling into the trap of myth number four. So myth number five, I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. Boy, this is extremely, extremely dangerous to think that a traditional pension or defined benefit plan is going to take care of you throughout the rest of your retirement years. And, and again, as, as we all know, uh, with the invention of the 401K through the Tax Reform Act of 1978, this is where corporate America has been going. They've been shifting away from the defined benefit plan. So there might only be a handful of listeners of this weekend's program that have the luxury of having a defined benefit plan. But we have always recommended at Davidson Capital Management that if you have the ability to take a cash 
lump sum distribution from your pension. And the and the way that you can do that is, first off, your pension has to have over an 80% uh, funding rate by the corporation to take a 100% lump sum. And then if it has a 60 to 80% funded rate from the corporation, you can take a partial lump sum distribution. And then any pension that's less than 60% funded, you're going to have to take the pension payment. And I know, you know, one particular organization here in town that falls in that category of having an underfunded pension. But, you know, the one thing that they don't tell you when they give you the options that you can select at time of retirement, whether to take a lump sum or to take the annuity payments from your pension, is that these pension payments are not adjusted for inflation. So maybe that fifteen hundred. So that fifteen hundred dollars that you started receiving in your pension on month one and year one is going to be buying a heck of a lot less goods and services ten years from now. And I think that's one area that retirees forget that monetary inflation is eroding your purchasing power. And once you start taking that pension payment, there's no going back. You're done. You're locked out. That's what you're going to be getting for the rest of your life. And it's not adjusted for inflation, so each and every month that goes by, you're going to be able to buy a little less goods and services. So you need to keep that in the back of your mind, and that's one main reason, one huge reason why we recommend to take a lump sum distribution, if you can, from your traditional pension. With that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this hour about the 10 myths the ten myths of retirement planning. Um, we've gotten to myth, and we came to the bottom of the hour break. We're on myth number five, uh, which was I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. And as we went to break, was talking about what we recommend to prospective clients at Davidson Capital Management when you can take the lump sum distribution from your pension to do that, for one, so you now have full, complete control of those assets. Also, so you can put those assets to work for you in an allocation model that can provide you with growth and something that's going to be appropriate for you to help make that money last your entire uh, lifespan in retirement, but also to help combat, combat monetary inflation. Because, again, that's one thing that the pension provider is not going to tell you at a pre-retirement meeting is that once you annuitize that pension and start taking that monthly check, that's the check that you're going to continue to receive. It's not going to be adjusted for inflation. And so that $1,500, as an example, that you start receiving each and every month will buy less goods and services as every month goes by. So imagine, and think of it very easily, Will $1,500 20 years ago buy the same amount of goods and service as it does today? No, because of monetary inflation. That is the one thing that is not discussed enough with pre-retirees. It's one aspect 
uh, of the market that that individuals don't think about a lot and why I've always been a big advocate that every brokerage statement across this country should have a notation of what monetary inflation was for that reporting period so they realize, oh, I did lose a little bit of value in my CD because of monetary inflation or I lost value of my money sitting in cash in the bank vault because of monetary inflation. It, It affects pensions the exact same way. So myth number six, Medicare will take care of my health insurance. And I'm glad that this is on the list of myths because this is a conversation I have when I go through my financial road mapping exercises with clients. When we work with our clients that are working towards that retirement, I don't want to say retirement goal line. I would say retirement is the 50-yard line. So as they're working to the 50-yard line of the field to go into retirement, when I start, when I have our clients work on their monthly budgets, I always want them to put in some type of figure for supplemental insurance to Medicare. I always tell our clients that do not rely 100% on Medicare. And you know the bottom line is, is that Medicare pays less than a half of a typical retiree's medical bills, and that you have to have a supplemental plan. And Dad, I mean, you're absolutely you're an absolute authority on this. No, no, because, no, that's you're absolutely correct, Kyle. And so I always want to build into a retirement budget, and this is again an exercise for any pre-retiree that's working on their monthly budget to include. What do you pay? Around $500 a month? It's getting more and more expensive. It is, okay. So your supplemental plan is getting more and more expensive. So I would say... And we've already reduced one of the portions of it. So would you say for a pre-retiree to maybe work in four to maybe $600 a month for that supplemental policy? Uh, Or even more? uh, Actually, it's going to to start to be more than that. Really? Yes. That's what it is currently. Maybe six to $800? It's, uh, It's getting there. It's getting there. So the bottom line is, is that... Well, the problem is, at this point in time, because of Obamacare, we, we don't totally know the effects yet. You know, th- this has not got through the system. And the other thing that doesn't come out in this that they won't tell you is you're not going to see all the same health professionals you saw before. Not every doctor wants Medicare patients. That's true. And so... There's instances where your your specialists are going to change. That's not all. That's another myth too. Is that you may <laughs> you're not, adding myth number eleven. You, you may be going <laughs> to San Antonio to see someone you want to see. Myth: You can keep all of your current health care yes. providers. Yeah, that's not even that's your not, primary care. That's physicians. not true on Medicare, much less Obamacare. So anyone working out a monthly budget pre-retiree, they need to figure in. A health insurance cost, even if you're going into Medicare because you're going to have to have that supplemental policy. Uh, myth number seven, all my assets are in safe vehicles for long-term accumulation and do not need to be watched closely. What the heck are I mean, safe vehicles for long-term accumulation? What do, what do they mean is, by that? There is no Well, I, I know an annuity salesman would say this annuity, yes. this indexed annuity, this variable annuity, that's that's safe. It's quote-unquote guaranteed. That talk should have ended Hardy in 08 or 09. I mean, they, they might be talking about certificates of deposit yes. or government bonds. Yes. But those safe that's vehicles it. for long-term accumulation aren't accumulating a whole lot. I was about in, to say. In, they, in today's interest rates. They need to define what is accumulation. <laughs> That's a very loose term Something right less there. than 1% is not accumulating to me. I mean, I mean the, the, the bottom line, anyone 
going into retirement with, oh, I've got everything in CDs, I've got everything in my money market account, I'm, I've got everything in fixed income, I'm safe, I can go on my trips, on my vacations, I can go play with the grandkids and the family, I don't have to think about it, don't have to worry about it. If you don't work with an investment professional who has discretionary control and is a registered investment advisor to manage those assets for you, then you're the portfolio manager. and you cannot- Well, there is a portfolio manager. Whether you hire one or not, you've hired yourself. That's right. Yeah, that, that means that you're the portfolio manager and you cannot fall asleep behind the wheel and following this methodology of, oh, I'm safe, I don't need to watch it closely. Again, setting yourself up for failure. This is why we've always used the Money Wise program to educate and to enlighten pre-retirees and retirees that you always have to be vigilant in your portfolio, whether you're doing it yourself or whether you're working with an investment professional, it's something that has to be paid attention to. Well, I mean, you are the portfolio manager on your 401k plan. That's right. That, that's right. If you don't have a self-directed brokerage option, and, and again, that brings up another important point, something that a lot of 401k plans don't talk about, is in-service distribution options for participants in 401ks that are age 59 and a half and older. If you're planning on working another five or six years, guess what? At 59 and a half, you have the ability to hire an investment professional, roll your 401k assets out into a self-directed IRA that you can now get professionally managed. And for someone who's amassed 500, 600, 800, a million dollars in their 401k and they don't feel comfortable with what they're doing in their own account, this is when you might want to start looking at your options as you're continuing to work and participating in the 401k for looking at a self-directed, uh, either a self-directed or an in-service distribution option in the 401k. Um, so myth number eight, I can always use the equity in my home to add to my retirement income. Well, this might have been a thought pattern prior to the housing collapse back from 2006 and 2007, and with home values just starting to come back well, and they're, revive. You know, they're bubbling up in here. There's no question about that. They, they are, depending upon what part of the country you live in. Um, but again, as we've always educated and always talked about here on the Money Wise program, is that you should view your house as where you live. Do not view it as an investment. If you have your house paid off, yeah, you have equity built into it. It's kind of a break glass in case of emergency type thing. But if you're developing a financial plan in retirement that revolves around taking a reverse mortgage out or taking a home equity line of credit out and and living off of the equity bills into your house, again, you're planning and setting yourself up for failure. And again, with the financial crisis back in 08, which again, housing market had a lot to lend itself to, to that financial crisis, there's a lot of folks that still could be underwater, have zero or very little home equity. Uh, so we always say don't look at your house as a piggy bank. Look at your house as where you live. And if you have equity built into it, fantastic. But don't include it in a financial plan that, hey, this is a register that I'm going to be able to ring if I need to. Anything else you wanted to add? Myth number nine. If need be, my family can always help me out. This is my plan. <laughs> 
Well, that's myth number nine. Yeah, right? that, that's myth. That's myth Usually number myth nine. Number one. Yeah, myth number nine. And the fact is that many people use this as an excuse for dele- delaying retirement planning, but in reality, no one wants to rely on other family members to help them out financially to fund their retirement years. And if anything, these are the years when you want true financial independence and do not want to feel as if you are a burden on your family. Uh, There must be some very interesting Thanksgivings out there. I mean, the the fact that this many people could be getting along, I thought it would be be the last people that you'd want to rely on would be family members. Well, I I mean, and unfortunately, again, if – if you're the type of investor or the lack thereof, not investing, not planning, you know, believing in a lot of these myths that we've already discussed, then you're going to wind up falling into the category where you're going to be looking to your children or looking to other family members to take care of you in retirement and, again, becoming a burden on them, and, and and I would think that that's that's not a conversation that any parent wants to have with their child, saying, "Well, hey, Sally, hey, you know, I'm going to be moving in with you now. I hope you have an uh, yeah, extra room uh, in your house." Yeah, I'm going to be because I did such a poor job planning for retirement. Now I'm going to come live with you. How, what do you think about that? Or, or then the parents become a travel agent for guilt trips and say, well, I paid for your college. I did I all this you. for you. I raised you. You owe me this. I would recommend try not to be one of those parents that's a you owe me this kind of parent. You have to do the planning yourself and prepare for your retirement. Well, we're going to take our last commercial break. When we come back, we'll be wrapping up the 10 myths of retirement planning, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we spent the last hour of this weekend's moneywise program going through the 10 myths of retirement planning and we've finally arrived at myth number 10 and that myth is money is everything when it comes to retirement planning uh, now, money is important, but it isn't everything because, again, you could have $4 million nest egg saved up, but you're spending $400,000 a year to maintain your lifestyle, and guess what? That nest egg isn't going to last too long. And so you could you could have been a fantastic saver, but if you're going into retirement with a massive amount of debt, Consumer debt, you know, huge house payment, a bunch of car payments, a lot of toys, high monthly expenses, and and you're leading this very very extravagant lifestyle. Doesn't matter how much you, you you've saved because you have to pay attention to what you're spending. Yeah, it's about creating a proper balance. And, and, it's, well, and it's pretty rare that we see folks that have accumulated tr- large nest eggs. But but also have been have really big spending habits. Usually it's 
their nest egg is moderate to maybe a little below average, but they have big spending habits. Well, well what I see also is we'll still see people that save quite a bit of money, and then they get in retirement, and they're way too frugal. They're so afraid they're going to outlive their money, they won't even... Enjoy, real, enjoy yeah. some of the fruits of their labor. I mean, I see well, this it, more. It, it's 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 about a happy medium, a happy balance. But I think that it goes back to your point: is that retirement planning has to stay flexible. You have to be malleable because life can change in the blink of an eye. Markets change each and every day. Allocations can adjust. You have to be flexible. This is why we're such humongous advocates against, again, let me repeat, against annuities of any shape or form because it takes away that flexibility and that malleability. We're, we're very much against taking, if you if you work for a corporation that offers a, a, a pension plan and you and you take the pension payment and don't take the lump sum. We're very much against taking the pension payment because you're locking yourself in to this amount of money for the rest of your life. It will be never be a penny more or a penny less. And no one knows that that's going to be enough with your other retirement income to get through retirement. So like, like Kyle said, and then we'll reiterate it again, flexibility is the key because markets, don't stay the same. Life doesn't stay the same. I, I, and, to, and to me, of the ten myths, the one that 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 really strikes I think, a chord with strikes you strikes a chord. I would not even consider retiring without a supplemental plan to my Medicare. Do not rely on Medicare for your health costs, because that is the one guarantee. I would say. You're definitely going to be using as you get older. So it's death, taxes, and increase in medical care, <laughs> increased cost of medical care. Yes, those are the three now. It's not just death and taxes. Well, that's right. Inflation, inflation and medical inflation care. is all. I don't know that I've ever lived in in two years in a row that we haven't had a pos, positive inflation. We've had inflation practically every year of my life, and the, and and if I've been living forty eight, I have no reason to doubt that the next forty eight are going to have inflation also. Now, despite what the government says, current interest, current inflation rates being somewhere less than two percent, I don't know anyone that uh, isn't paying more than two percent for their living expenses, and so I'm a little suspicious of how the government's computing these numbers. And you know, we've always used at least a minimum three percent uh, inflation rate, and so if if you're if you're accumulating assets into retirement. And you unfortunately have received advice or believe that as you approach those retirement years, you should have less and less money in stocks and more and more money in a in fixed income or bond investments. There isn't a bond investment out there that has a uh, that is uh, what we would consider to be investment grade that's yielding more than three percent, unless you go way, way out. Well, there's the no one yielding seven, and we're talking about in our experience, our 25 years, we've seen where you can take seven percent out of a balanced portfolio and still have a portfolio of the size. Still, but you what I'm with. yeah, but what I'm saying yeah. is, is that greater than the you, size you can't even get a fixed income investment that we would consider investing in that's investment grade that even reaches what we believe is is at least the minimum true rate of inflation. 
No, and, and, and again, everyone's inflationary rate is different, but if you're going into retirement anticipating that your inflationary rate's going down, not with medical care costs. No. Not with medical care costs. I don't think medical, co- Medicare costs are growing at, at 3% or less a year. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in, I think it goes college tuition, medical costs. And those the, are and the, probably and that, high single-digit rates of inflation. For for tuition, it's actually I've seen I've seen statistics it's double digits, with 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 college costs. So, you know the, the the bottom the bottom line is is that you have to prepare, you have to plan. As I've always tried to educate on this program, that if if you're listening to the show and you're six months, twelve months out from retiring, this is when you need to start getting on the horse and start interviewing investment professionals that you might be interested in working with, finding out what they have to offer, seeing how they work with their clients, find out if they're taking discretionary control and are acting as a fiduciary, as a registered investment advisor does like we do here at Davidson Capital Management, or are they only going to sell you investment products and do what's suitable for you, which does not which does not mean putting your interests in front of their own or the firm that employs them, you need to start doing that work in advance. Do not get caught behind the eight ball. I don't know how many times I've talked about it on this show, but since we're talking about retirement planning, I always want to bring this up. You know, I've met with some folks that get caught behind the eight ball and they're scrambling to try to figure out who they're going to work with they wind up making a very hasty decision because they sat in one sales presentation said wow that sounds good they threw around the word guaranteed a lot and guaranteed this rate of return and guaranteed that and all these guarantees well i'm just going to sign on the dotted line and then they're toast their portfolio is toast and they're locked into something they lost their flexibility they lost their flexibility and the bill of goods that was sold to them was completely false smoke and mirrors and then they wind up regretting that and then a lot of times we wind up working with these people where we're having to unwind these hasty decisions that they made and sometimes can cost them quite significantly and it can't be done overnight either exactly and it can't be done overnight so you know again you have to plan you have to prepare do not get sucked in to these myths and if there's anything that we can do for you at Davidson Capital Management, you want to talk about your your financial situation, give us a call, 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.